0: I just celebrated 16 years with my wife this Friday. Super blessed on that. Um, Friday night, I actually, my son just finished his explorations thing at Kamehameha. You guys know about that thing? It's like, he's in fifth grade going into sixth grade, and they have this week-long ho'omai um, ka'i ka'i, right? And they learn all about the the cultures of of, of the Hawaiian people and the dance and the chanting and the working in the Lo'i patch and all that cool stuff. And he got to stay up there and he had a really good time. Friday night though, right before church, literally the thing was at school at from six to seven and I had to preach, right? And church starts at seven over here. We went to my son's presentation. I got to tell you guys, it was so funny because all of the different teams, there's like several hundred kids from all over and they do the different islands, right? And they, they do like Oh, let's celebrate all the kids from Maui and the kids from Maui, are like, yeah, they stand up, you know, and they're doing their thing. Let's celebrate the kids from Kauai. Yeah, Kauai gets up there and, and Big Island, and then they do Oahu last because it's the most kids, right? So all the kids are like, woo, and they're waving, throwing shaka and whatever. And there's there's one kid that's not doing any of that kind of stuff. You know what he's doing? Pelvic thrusting. Eh, eh, <laughs> eh, eh. And I'm like, oh, that's my son. Oh my God. The pastor's kid, right? The only one of hundreds of kids. He's like... Mm, mm. Every single time after the dance, the chant, they get up and they do the thing. There he is. Everyone's sitting down. He gets a couple extra seconds of air time, just like, ah, ah. Oh, my gosh. You know, like... So I ran from that straight into church on Friday night, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. But I'm like, you know what, son? You're asserting your independence, and you're... Your uniqueness and like, good job. I actually expect nothing less. So anyway, that's, that's what my weekend's been like. Been having a good time. But um, today we are getting into 1 Corinthians and we are in the very last chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. You guys got to understand that in the Bible days when Paul wrote this letter, there was no chapters, right? He just wrote an extremely long letter because the church he had started a couple years previous had gotten off track. They started in the things of God and they were getting like distracted and bringing in like fighting and lawsuits against each other and, and, and comparing each other. Who's better? Who's this? Oh, there's a guy sinning in the church, but we're not going to deal with it. Let's sweep it under the carpet and all this stuff. And so Paul's hearing about this. He writes a super long letter to say, hey, get back on track. And it's bas- basically a letter of scolding and correction, although there's encouragement, there's love mixed in, but he's basically scolding these guys and going, what the heck? You started off with Jesus in the, the gospel message. Now, where are you? False teachers have come in. You're, you guys are all messed up and led astray. And so he brings back in this correction. And we're at the very end of this letter that he wrote. And they, the Bible writers like kind of chaptered it out so that it, like each chapter is on like different concepts. But really, it's just one super long letter that, Paul dictated to someone else because they believe that Paul may have had a problem with his eyesight or something. But a lot of his, his letters, we know that he was dictating to someone else who was writing down for him, right? In um, the book of Romans at the end, there's a guy named Tertius who says, And I, Tertius, who am writing for Paul, now I send you my final greetings as well. So we know that Paul wrote letters by speaking to someone who would write it for him. So he wrote this super long letter, and he's been talking about all these different topics, getting everybody on, um, on point again. And in this last chapter, which is really just the ending maybe page or so of Paul's letter, he kind of goes like this. I've had all these big talks with you guys. I put you on track. I said all this stuff. But now here's my last few things that I want to just give you the the final, and I title it like this, final words of wisdom. He's about to end the letter and he goes, and then don't forget about these things, guys. He throws in a couple little things that are actually really important things, but he just kind of does a bunch of random stuff at the end. It would be like this, like... I went to Australia a couple weeks back. My wife and I went to Australia. We didn't take our kids with us, which is like a big deal, right? It's kind of like a thing that says like, we're not taking our kids to Australia, yay! But on the other hand, it's kind of like, oh, we're not taking our kids to Australia. Are they going to be okay, right? It's kind of a bittersweet. So we had to leave our kids with people we trust. And so my cousin Carissa and her husband Stephen, they volunteered or I don't know, we forced them to or something, but they decided to take care of our kids for two weeks And it was like instant parenthood because they're like in their early 20s and suddenly they got to take care of a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a four-year-old for two weeks. And they're just like, ah! Literally, Stephen told me afterwards, Carl, I don't know how you make it to church every morning without like food on you, without this, and you actually show up on time and your clothes are neat and the kids are dressed and things that match. How does that happen? But we trusted them for two weeks. And in leaving your kids, you guys know that's a big deal, right? For two weeks in another country. And so... Three days or so before we left, Kanani calls Chris and Steven over to the house, and she goes into, like, full mom mode, right? For three hours, listing all of the things. You need to water the plants. You need to make sure they get their allergy medicine. This is their bedtimes. This is what they like to eat. Here's where you drop them off at school. Here's the type of sunscreen. Kylie can have this sunscreen, but Isaac has to have a different one because they react to their skin differently, blah, blah, blah. The whole deal, right? The manifesto and the things. I, I'm throwing my two cents in, like, oh, oh here's how the remote works. <laughs> The things that are, I know are real important, right? The remote and the stuff like that. Um, so for three hours, just grilling them and telling him all of these super important things to kind of instruct them on how to take care of our kids. And, you know, we came back two weeks later. Our kids all had their limbs. They're all good. Like, they did a good job. We, we thanked them for that. But um, then on the way to the airport, because Stephen dropped us at the airport, it's kind of like, okay, we, you went over the whole three-hour speech, But now on the way to the airport, let me give you the few last minute, and this is what the sermon is on, final words of wisdom. This is kind of what Paul is doing here in this final last chapter. It's not on one specific huge topic today we're talking about. It's kind of like, Paul throwing in, here's the last few nuggets of truth that I believe are pretty important. And I want to make sure you guys catch these things. And as we went to the airport, Kanani was like, okay, don't forget this. Remember this. Remember, Sammy will only fall asleep if you give her an iPad so she can watch movies and cartoons on her way. I mean, that's how it works with her, right? So we had to give the last few minute little things, but they're very important things. And so Stephen got an earful on the way home. And then, of course, we had to tell our kids final words too. We got to make sure, you know, we love you. We're coming back. You know, we just want you to know, because that's important to us. And this is kind of how Paul's ending his letter too. We drove through my daughter's school on the way to the airport to drop her off at summer school. And it was like, Kylie, we want you to know we love you. And so I saw her get out of the car and she's with all of her other 14-year-old friends. And I figure here's my opportunity to let her know, Kylie, we love you. (laughs) Right? And that's the last thing a 14-year-old wants to hear, Kylie, we cherish you. You are near and dear to our heart. You are precious. You know, you are made in God's image. Just throwing out this stuff, right? And she's just running to her (laughs) class. But that's what you do with your kids, right? Because that's the kind of dad I am. But um, here's Paul now, same kind of scenario. He's going, I wrote you this long letter, and I put you guys in check, and all of this stuff, but let me throw out a couple little nuggets of wisdom. So what we're going to get today is some just... What I like to call just little bite-sized nuggets. You know, sometimes the Word of God is a full 10-course meal, and you're just like, whoa, that was so heavy. Last week we read 58 verses, right? And we're like, (laughs) the resurrection, oh my gosh. And then sometimes it's just like, the buffet menu, the value menu, right, at McDonald's or Jack in the Box. Sometimes it's the full meal deal, extra large, jumbo, super size, right? And sometimes it's like, I'll have the side salad, I'll have the baked potato, Wendy's, right, I love Wendy's, um, I'll have the small cup of chili, and today this is kind of like Paul throwing at us, here's just a bunch of a little variety of stuff, I hope they're good nuggets of wisdom for you, and I looked at this and I go, wow, this is, I like those sometimes, sometimes I like the bite size, easy to digest, like the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, amazing. So we're going to get into that today. And here's, there's four things, really four specific areas I think that Paul is talking about here. You look in your notes. The very first one, I believe, is to be generous. He's calling this Corinthian church to be generous. Um, let's read it. It says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. He's saying, do it with wisdom and discretion and do it slowly and plan it out. He says, when I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, then they can travel with me. I want to show you guys on a map real quick what he's talking about, this giving to the church of Jerusalem. Here's what you got to understand. Sets the kind of the background. Church of Jerusalem down here was the original church, the church we read about in Acts. The very beginning. When Jesus died on the cross, resurrected, ascended back to heaven, These were the first, this was the first gathered church that said, we're going to live this Christian message out, and we're going to do things God's way. And they started in Jerusalem. And they got bigger and bigger and grew and grew. They were a megachurch in the thousands. It says in the Bible, there's one place that thousands of Gentiles and thousands of Jews, they were the world's first megachurch. And they were in Jerusalem. Now, this time where we're at, Paul is writing from this town in Ephesus, to these guys over here who are in Corinth, the Corinthian church. And what had happened is he had started this church a couple years prior, and now he's back in Ephesus and he's hearing bad things, so he's writing to instruct these guys. This church at Jerusalem, at the time of Paul's writing from Ephesus, it's been 20 years since the early church got started. So since that time, this church has faced persecution, which caused all the believers to run away into the surrounding areas. But as they went, they brought Jesus with them everywhere. So guys like Paul were starting churches all around, Antioch, Damascus, Ephesus, all of these different places. They were spreading the gospel message, starting churches everywhere. So Paul is saying from Ephesus, he's telling these guys in Corinth, hey, we need to take a collection. There's a need back in the mother church in Jerusalem because they've been experiencing famine and drought and a financial crisis, like a recession or something. They're hurting. So us, since we're all 20 years later, a result of this church and what they did There's a need in God's family. And you know what? We're going to step up and exercise our generosity muscles a little bit, and we're going to collect and we're going to give because there's a need in God's family. You guys got that? So they're taking a collection so that they can all send it back with all these other churches down to Jerusalem. And this is what is happening here. And what I believe he's teaching us in the midst of this, this be generous thing, is he's saying, look for needs around you. Look for needs because we're God's vessels to bless this world because Christians ought to be the most blessed people, the most generous people in the world because we've been given the most, haven't we? We've been given eternal life, life with Christ, the living power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives every single day. We ought to be the most generous people on this planet. Whether we have a lot of money or resources or whatever to give or not, we should just be people who are saying, we're always looking to give because we've been given so much. Right? We also know the biblical concept that says, when you give to others, God himself will give back to you. So we really have nothing to lose. So he's telling these guys, hey, when you give, look for opportunities so that you can be a blessing. I think in our lives, we ought to be always looking and praying, God, how can I bless someone else? Lord, show me ways that I wanna, that I can give. But I think this, more than just looking for opportunities, pray for the opportunities. Do you realize that there's sometimes when we get moved to give, we see an opportunity, we get moved on our emotions. Oh man, I should do something. But I think you have to balance it with prayer and with wisdom. Don't just give out of like, oh, I got moved. That, that's a heavy cause. I should go help that cause. I'm quitting my job. I'm moving to Africa. I'm going to serve on that committee, and I'm going to bless that. It's you got moved on emotion, but then make sure you pray every single time when there's an opportunity to give. God, do you want me to give to this? How much? It's probably going to be a little bit more than you first thought, Because God likes to stretch the generosity muscles in us, right? To get us to practice it a little bit more. You guys know that you need to stretch your muscles or what happens They get tight, right? Well, if we're not stretching our wallets and our generosity muscles, we start getting tight, don't we? We start getting a little tight and God's going, hey, I want you to give to that. Oh, no, I never give. So you know what? I'm tight. And God goes, get into the habit of giving and look for a need. And especially in God's body, look for a need because God's body, that church in Jerusalem, that's family. And we always give to family first. So there's a couple of concepts I think that he's saying in here is look for the opportunity and pray on it. Use emotion, be emotionally stirred, but then use wisdom. The Japan homestead thing, for instance. I think we ought to be writing some, some extra checks and giving some extra money to that as an offering. And I'm not telling you how much to give, but I'm saying, think about it. Realize there's a need to bless some kids and then pray and go, God, how much do you want me to give? These kids lost everything. I got stuff. I can give something. I just think that we got to look for opportunities to stretch those muscles. Otherwise, those muscles get tight and we're missing out on God's blessing because we're not being a blessing. You know that there's a sign on the bottom of the hill that says that, right? You guys read that on the way out of the driveway driving out of here? It says, be blessed, be a blessing. In order for us to be blessed from God, we first have to be a blessing so that God can go, wow, you're pouring out and I'm going to pour right back into you and I'm going to replenish what you have. But As you begin to develop a habit of giving, you're going to begin to experience the pattern of blessing. You guys hear what I said? When you develop a habit of giving, you you will experience a pattern of blessing. I know this to be true in my life time after time. I wasn't always the most generous giving person, and I still want to be more generous and more giving, but I've come a long way in my life in giving stuff away. Not just money, but time, but love, but generosity in all these different areas. And I've seen it over and over again in my life, and I've shared this story before. Here's a a perfect example of what I see is when I give and and bless God's people and give to a cause and give to the right need, that God, if I make a habit of giving, then God has a pattern of blessing in my life. You guys know that I told a story before about how I got the Bowflex. Any of you guys remember that story? Some of you guys never heard it. It I've been praying for a long time, God, I wish I had a Bowflex machine. I don't have room for the weights and I'm not like a big muscle head guy. I just, I want to stay in shape because I like to surf. I want to keep the paddling muscles strong and try not to get the like 40-year-old gut. You know, I got to like stay in shape a little bit. I would love a Bowflex. God, it's expensive. I want to pray. I always pray on money situations. God, provide me a way to get a Bowflex machine, right? So I pray, I pray, I pray. Why not? Pray over everything, right? And sure enough, as God always does, he comes through. My neighbor's moving. My neighbor's got an $1,100, $1,100 Bowflex Power rods, machine, and the whole deal. And he's going, Oh, you know what? We're not going to take this with us. Carl, you want to buy it from me? I was like, Yeah. Well, how much? You know, I'm ready to haggle and wheel and deal. And he goes, You know what? You can have it for 300 bucks. I was like, 300 bucks? Yeah, scored, right? So I instantly go get the money, give it to the guy, and all I have to do, wheel it from his driveway right into my drive, right into my garage right there. And like, done, boom, there it is. I got a bow flex, right? Then I'm praising God because God comes through and he answers my prayers even when I pray about stuff like that, amen? You gotta pray over every little thing because God hears, he's listening. He's waiting to bless you. So I get the Bowflex and I'm using it every single day for a week and a half. (laughs) I'm going hard, I'm doing it, I'm doing everything for a week and a half. And then it becomes, it turns into the laundry rack, right? Come home from the beach, hang the towels on the Bowflex, right? Right? My wife does the clothes. Hang your underwear on my Bowflex. Like, ah, oh. right? Because I'm not using it anymore, right? And what a bummer. Like, I literally would walk by the garage every day to my car and just get mad at that flex. Like, ah, oh, stop, stop laughing at me, you know? <laughs> and in the middle of this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? What am I going to do with this thing? You know, I got this. And then I'm talking about it some, some night in service. And there's all these guys from Hinamaka, the Drug and Alcohol Treatment Center, right down the, the road here. Love those guys. They're a part of our church. They come up every Friday night. They're getting saved. God's doing works in their life. I I'm love, I love and I'm so proud of the fact that we have a relationship with them. But they hear me in church talking about my Bowflex and they go, oh, if you're just using it as laundry rack, we could use it. And they said, we're not allowed to have free weights at, at Hinamauka because I don't know what, they could get nuts with each other, throw the weights at each other. I don't know what, but they said, but we could use that. And so I pray on it and tell my wife, hey, I want to give it to Hinamauka. I want to bless them. She goes, oh, $300. I go, I know, but you know what? Let's be a blessing because God will bless us back. We know it's a proven thing. We know that we have the habit of giving. God will give us the experience of the blessing, right? And so we give it away. And I kid you not, within days after I got that, my friend says, and I think my friend's actually here today. I don't know. I thought I heard his laugh in here. He goes, hey, Carl, you know that jet ski I always let you use? Yeah? Why don't you just keep it at your house and basically just call it your own and use it whenever you like? And here's what I learned. Give away a Bowflex, gain a jet ski. (laughs) Instantly, like that. It was like days later. The guy that gave me the jet ski, he didn't have any idea. He wasn't going, oh, I heard the sermon, so I want to bless you. He just did what God was telling him to be generous and to bless someone else. But here's what I see, is that my God is a God that if I give to people generously, God gives right back to me. And then everybody gets blessed. More people get blessed. So I'm just saying that you might want to consider taking that off that offering for others out of your thing right now and say, here's a need. Those kids, we're bringing 10 kids in from Japan and they've got nothing and we got to pay for airfare and housing and all of that for a couple weeks. Here's an opportunity. And maybe it's not that opportunity, but maybe it's something else that God puts in your life. But Paul is saying, let's be generous and let's be wise in how we think about doing that. It says in Galatians 6.10, therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone. But then he says this, especially to those in the family of faith. Do you know that God is saying that giving starts in the family, right? That our family are those that are closest to us that are most important. I don't want my kids to grow up thinking, oh, dad cared more about his work and his job and the church than he did about us. And then my kids get a problem with loving and trusting God because God's work took their dad away from them. I've seen too many pastors' lives broken up that way. Pastor spouses come and say, oh, he was married to the ministry. He wasn't married to me. God says when it comes to giving, focus first on family. Family is your first ministry. That's why it's called family because you have that tighter relationship. So that's why they're going, church in Jerusalem, sowing seeds into God's kingdom. We better make sure we're giving to them first. We can give to everybody because it tells us to, but we better make sure that we're loving one another and that we're being family. Amen? We gotta, if we're a family, we better make sure that we're meeting the needs of those in this church and in our body that are living their lives for God, that are in a hard way. Let's bless them. The reason is, Some people would say, oh, that's selfish. You should love everybody equally. Well, God tells us, do good to everyone, but especially to the family of faith. The reason is this, John 13, 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. If you can love like family and love family first and foremost, then those outside of the family are gonna wanna get in the family. Does that make sense? So you prioritize... I love my family first. That's the ministry God has called me to. My church, the needs in God's family and his purposes, I better make sure I'm taking care of that. That's going to cause the outsiders to go, wow, how's that? How do I get in there? How can I be part of that family like that? There's a reason that we do that. So Paul is saying, number one, nugget of wisdom, be generous. Number two, he says, I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia from planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, And then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time, and this is cool. He goes, this time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. But in the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There's a wide open door for great work here. Although many may oppose me. Even in spite of people opposing me, there's a wide opportunity for me to meet the needs of people and introduce them to Jesus. Here's the map again, the second map where Paul is talking about. He's saying, I'm over here in Ephesus. My plan is I want to travel up here through Macedonia, visit the churches I've started in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. I want to meet with those guys. And then I want to come down and hang out with you guys. And he goes, I don't want it to be a short trip. I want to hang out with you guys for a while. Because remember, I started the church here. I know you guys by name. I love you. I want to spend some time, maybe the whole winter. Let's hang out. Here's what Paul is in saying all of this. He's saying to us is... I'm all about relationships. Paul is saying, relationships are first priority in our lives. Be relational. He's going, I can't wait to come and visit you guys and stay a while, but I got to make sure I pass through Macedonia and love all the people there that I've started churches with. And then, you know what? I'm not going to be able to come right away because he said, meanwhile, there's a great door of opportunity for me here in Ephesus. And I love these people in Ephesus and these people in Ephesus need Jesus just as much as you do. So here's Paul going, you know what? Anywhere I go, I want to be there because God is moving and it's about relationships. Amen? The Christian life is all about relationships because we know the only thing we can take to heaven with us is other people. The only thing that's eternal that matters is that we love on people and relationships. And this is Paul modeling this for us that he really loved these people. He wasn't just, I'm going to walk by and come into your town and make sure your church is doing good. He's like, hey, I want to stay a while. I want to hang out. You guys are my friends, you guys are my church. See, I always want to be the kind of pastor that is focused on being a shepherd to the sheep that's actually knowing the sheep by name, that's loving them, that's a part of that you guys are my family. Because I've seen pastors where they get led astray, and they get led astray by like numbers or by finances that come in or by whatever, and they forget that it's all about the shepherd having a heart for the sheep and knowing the sheep. Because we as Christians, our good shepherd knows us, and he knows us by name, amen? And that for the sheep to trust the shepherd, there's got to be that relationship. And so there's no way I can know everybody's name here. And I try and I mess up and you guys know. I try my best to get to know you guys. But one of the things I do to keep in touch with where the sheep are at and be relational, I read every single one of your prayer requests and praise reports that come in every week. And my wife and I, sometimes I'm laying in bed and I'm on my phone. And I, oh, here's the email. And I'm reading it and I start crying because I'm crying with you and I hear about how cancer has ravaged people's bodies in your life or how divorce is threatening to rip your family apart or how different circumstances and you're crying out to God and I'm crying out to God with you and I'm going, these are my people. I I want to know this church that is family. It's not just numbers in a crowd. This is family to me. And then when I read the victories, I'm like rejoicing in the staff. We share them And staff. Go, hey, did you hear about so-and-so's testimony? Oh, that's awesome. We're excited. But us see, I, I just recently started my mini church again. I got this group of people. We got to make sure that we are relational above all else in our lives. That people are the most important thing that we got. And here's Paul going, I love people in Ephesus. I love people in Macedonia. I can't wait to be with you in Corinth. He's modeling for us that we need to be relational. The only reason that Paul could write all the previous chapters in this letter to scold them and to put them in their place is because he had a loving relationship with them, right? Don't you guys see that? There's no way you could just write a letter to people saying, hey, stop doing this and you guys were in sin. And even last week in the scripture, there was a part that he said, I don't even know if you guys love God at all. Well, that's harsh words. You know the reason that Paul was able to say that? It's because he had a relationship with these people. See, you have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. There's a lot of us that go, Man, I got to go tell that guy to stop doing what he's doing. Oh, I really need to counsel this person. Unless you have that relationship, you don't have the right to go tell anybody anything about their business. Unless you have that loving relationship. For me, anybody tries to come and tell me and point out all this stuff in my life, hey, I'm just going to say like anybody else, who are you? You don't know me, right? But if my friends come to me who know me, know my background, know my strengths, know my weaknesses, they come in and say, Carl, hey, here's this, and I want to talk to you about this. Then I'm going to be all ears. Why? Why? Because it's about relationship. We need to be relational with one another. We need to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And the way that we learn to love people is simply through practice. The way you get good at anything is by practice. That means you got to get a little bit uncomfortable to get in there. You guys realize that to have friends, you need to be a friend? You guys understand that? People come to our church sometimes and they say, oh, we promise to love you as is. And oh, we're going to be a friendly church and all that. I didn't feel any of it. I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm bummed. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And didn't people greet you? Yeah, they did, but I don't have any real relationships. I'm like, wow, did, did you go and introduce yourself to anyone? Did you say hi to anybody? No. Oh, okay, well, there's your problem, buddy, <laughs> you know? It's like, we got to put a little effort out to say hi to someone, to introduce, hey, I'm new here, to say something. It, it goes both ways. I'm not saying it's on either party. We got to do our job at welcoming people, but we got to understand also, like, If I want to get involved and have good friendships and relationships, I should probably get into a mini church or I should probably go to the beach bash today and meet some people or show up to to worship night or to the couples conference because if you want the relationships, you got to be willing to make a relationship. You guys get that? And so it kind of goes on both ways that we need to get in there, um, practice it with other people. Here's what I know. We have a really cool mini church board that's out there on the the back wall or whatever, it lists all the different mini churches. You guys seen that mini church board before? Right? Some of you guys use it. You take the cards, you give them to your friends or whatever. Here's what I know. If today's your very first day in church and you walk up to that mini mini church board, you're overwhelmed and you don't really know enough about mini church. You don't know any of the people. You're not sure if you should just show up at their house at that location or call someone that you don't know. That's awkward. That's scary. And that's overwhelming. So here's what I think. I think it's our job the people that people have been sitting in these seats for a while more than a few weeks, and this is kind of your home church, I think it's on us to reach out and to say, I know that mini church board confuses you and is overwhelming, so you know what? Here's my name, here's my number. Can I get yours? Can I call you and invite you to my mini church? Amen? That's relational, right? Guys, we can't just go, oh yeah, you're new? Oh, go check out the mini church board. But what other areas in our church are we not really being relational when we pretend to be relational? Like, who are you giving a ride to Kalama Beach Park today to help come in your car so that you can save on parking because we're going to be parking all around all the streets, right? Who are you helping out? Who have you invited to lunch recently? Who have you invited to your mini church? We want to be, as Paul is saying, be relational. I love people wherever I go, and I'm all about bringing people into a relationship with Jesus. Do I think that way? Do you? This is what Paul is calling on us. He's telling us this, and this is, I think, a good good word to write down. Love people, use things. Don't love things and use people. Yeah. Right? Be more concerned with people than Paul going around going, Oh, started another church in Philippi, check, a notch on my belt. Oh, started another church in Galatia, check, right? Started another church in Corinth. Paul's going, I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait to be with you guys in Ephesus. I can't wait to be with the guys in Macedonia. I just love the people. And you know what? I started church, that's good, because the church is all about people. And there's there's a house that I drive by almost every Saturday when I'm leaving my house Uh, to go to church, to go to the beach, to go wherever. And I see this one guy, he's out there all day Saturday. He washes, waxes, and details all of the cars in his household. It must be his family, his wife, his whatever. And all day long, he's spending waxing and detail. He's got the cleanest cars, the most shiny cars in all of Kailua, the area I live. I'm like, wow, this guy. And a little part of me gets a little bit envious because I used to be like that guy. For a while, to support my ministry when I was starting out after Bible college, I was working detailing cars every day. That was my job, to put food on the table for my wife. She was going to Bible college. She was working, but that's what I did. I detailed cars. So it taught me to really appreciate cars, to know how to like, put the carnauba wax and to layer. I knew every product and what it could do. I would take the little makeup brushes, the little soft like blush or whatever you women use that stuff for, I would take those, and I'm cleaning the, the, the detailing, the the radio, the dust in the vents on the AC. I was all about it. Spray the shiny stuff, the, the cherry scent. Ah, right? I would go to the carpet, and I had a special carpet brush. Then I would clean the carpets, and then I would stripe the carpets. Brush them up like this, then the next stripe down, the next stripe up. So you go in, and all the thing is like just extra detail. And I was all about that. So what it did in me was taught me, Oh, take care of your cars. You can have awesome cars. I would wax them all the time. I would wash them every week. I would detail them. I would vacuum them. Nobody allowed to eat food in my car. Yeah, you know? Nobody, everybody had to like take a shower before you come in my car. You had to be clean, right, to be in my car. And here's what God taught me along the way about what we're talking about. Carl, you need to love people and use things and not love things and use people. It's nice to be a good steward and to take care of your car, but your family is more important than your stupid truck. Oh, right and so what's going on yeah thank you <laughs> my wife who spills everything right <laughs> what i understand is that my 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 car can have a great wax job on it and it can be clean and that's really cool but what's more important is Kanani Kylie Isaac and Sammy having a good time and loving me and us being a family so those trucks now go to the beach they get sand in them there's all kind of stuff I honestly cannot remember the last time I washed my truck. When was the last time it rained? That's the last time I washed my truck, when the rain. God's nat- natural car wash, right? Hey, God, good job, right? But So now I understand my truck is meant to be used so that my family can have memories and they can have a good time. And I look at how I got scratched one day at the beach, and I went, and I went oh, that was a good day at the beach with my kids. That scratch reminds me that I have an awesome family, that we do stuff, we live life together, because people are more important. Amen. So here's Paul. You guys didn't think you are going to get this many heavy little nuggets out of this chapter, huh? God is good. But look at the third point here. Be a team, Paul is saying. He says, when Timothy comes to you in Corinth, don't intimidate him. That means they must have had a problem with intimidating people, right? Because here comes young Timothy, who's a young leader. He wrote the book of Timothy. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. So he's going, here's a young, shy kid, but he's, he's on the team. Treat him well. He says... When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. He's on the team. Let's be team. Don't let anyone look down on him. Treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with other believers. How are you guys at welcoming people in your church who are brand new? Hey, don't let them feel awkward. Don't let them feel intimidated. Love on people. Welcome them. Accept people. Be careful some people aren't at the stage of their walk that you are. You know what? Love on them. Bless them. Help them out. And here's what Paul's saying, they're on the team, so treat them like team. And now when about our brother Apollos, when Apollos comes to you, he says, I urge him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has opportunity. You know what he's saying right there is, be patient with people. Apollos wants to come, he can't come right now. Don't judge him because he can't come right now. How many of you guys in this church would say, in your walk with God, you are currently a work in progress? Anybody? That's all of us, right? So you know what that says? Is that we gotta be patient with other people who are in progress too, that are a work in progress. Hey, Apollos can't come right now, but he wants to. But just chill, relax, let him come. He's on his way, right? There's people that come in and we're just so quick to go, you're a Christian now, you need to be living this kind of lifestyle. And maybe they're trying to get there, but there's a lot of baggage that God needs to heal them from and he needs to get them there. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit in their lives as they begin to surrender more and more every single day. Don't judge them. Make sure you're patient like, Okay, let's let this guy come along. He's coming along. He's coming along at his pace. And so he says, Hey, with Apollos, he's on the team, but he can't be here right now. But don't worry, he's going to get there. Just be patient with him. Then he goes on and he says this in um, uh, verse 13. And this is kind of what we heard last week at the end of the chapter Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, and be courageous. The Greek word for courageous here is actually saying, Sorry, women, it's saying, be a man. It's actually saying, be like a strong man, be manly, stick together as a team, be strong, be diligent, be immovable, hold on, keep the faith, right? He says, be strong. And then he says, the reminder of what he talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, do everything with love. Remember, make sure anything you do, any, any talks you have with other people, make sure that there's love that's the motive behind it, not judging, not condemnation. Make sure you do everything with love. Then he says this. Verse 15, I love this. He starts to talk about other believers and he talks about them by name. He listens or lists their names. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of the believers in Greece and they're spending their lives in service to God's people. So Stephanus and his household, some of the first believers, they're now leaders to all the people that have been getting saved since then. So he's saying, hey, honor these people. He says this, I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. He's saying, submit to the leadership. I'm very glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus have come here. They've been providing the help you weren't here to give me. They've been a wonderful encouragement to me, and they have been to you. You must show appreciation to all who serve so well. He's saying, accept, welcome, protect, and bless people. Develop in our church, in your life, a culture of honor. He says, you know what? Protect young Timothy. He's coming along. Love him. Don't intimidate him apollos be patient with him honor his decisions he can't come right away all of these other guys Stephanus, all of these their leaders submit to their authority be patient with them there's he's saying that whoever the spiritual leaders are in your life whether it's pastors whether it's mini church shepherds whether it's spiritual mentors in the faith he's saying listen to them accept what they're teaching you take their advice and obey the reason is they're not in it for self-glory or self-fame. They're in it because they have a heavy responsibility to shepherd God's people and to grow them and to move them into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So because of that, honor them. Listen to what they say. Don't argue with them. Don't, and this is what I paraphrase it to mean, don't be a difficult sheep, right? If you go to church and you're part of a flock of someone's flock and you've got a shepherd over you, don't be a difficult sheep to your shepherd, right? Don't, don't act up because here's the reason why. The shepherd's job is a heavy responsibility. Acts 20 Verse 28, it says this, to shepherds, to leaders, to spiritual mentors. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood. um, Sorry, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. He's basically saying, these people know the gravity and the weight. I understand that if I call myself a pastor and I'm up here, I'm responsible for teaching truth and not getting mixed up, and not leading astray, you guys that are God's people that he paid for with his own blood. That's heavy. I got to answer on judgment day one day for, hey, what did you do with my people, Carl? How well did you lead them? How well did you teach them? How much did you push them and give them new vision, and push them out of their comfort zone to do big things for me, or did you lead them astray? Did you say dumb stuff in my name, because those are my kids? See, I understand, like, I got, a, I got a calling in my life. So God is saying that, we as sheep, if there's anyone in our life, I got guys in my life that I, I look up to or my mentors and my I consider my pastors, that I got to be a good sheep and I got to listen to them. Don't be a difficult sheep. If you're a difficult sheep and you don't like your shepherd, here's what I would tell you. Go to another flock. Go find a shepherd. And I'm, I don't say that in a challenging or mean way at all. I'm saying all of us need to have that rightful relationship where there's people in our lives that are over us that are pulling us and instructing us and pushing us. And if you can't find that with the leaders you currently have, instead of just sitting there and complaining and being difficult, he's saying, honor Stephanus, honor Fortunatus. Take care and listen to, okay, okay, these guys are put in your life for a reason. If you can't handle it with them, then that's cool. Just go find another place where you can have people that you allow speak into your lives that you respect. Does that make sense, guys? Don't be a difficult sheep. He's saying, be cool to the shepherd. Encourage people, you know? This is what I like too, the fact that he mentions these people by name. You know what Paul is doing here? He's doing something that we ought to do. Encourage other people even when they're not around. Write that down. Encourage others even when they're not around. Here's Paul over here name dropping how much these guys have been an encouragement to him. How wonderful they've been in the ministry to them. How awesome the leaders that they serve so well. Paul's over here name dropping. He's bragging on the team, B team. He's bragging on other members of the team even when they're not there. You know that you can encourage people and bless them in their lives even when they're not currently there, right? You can talk about people that you know and you can love on them like, like George Fergie, I'm talking about you. And I can go and talk to Uncle George uh, about him to other people and I get to build him up. Hey, Uncle George, he loves Jesus. He's the one responsible for bringing his whole family to Christ. He keeps on. He keeps pushing on. He reads the word. He's in it. He's there to set the godly example. He sits in multiple services every weekend. This guy's an awesome guy. I get to brag about people. We need to be in the habit of bragging on the team even when they're not around. You know, the Bible says harsh against gossip. Well, you can do the very opposite of gossip by building people up behind their back right? Get caught doing something good instead of, instead of getting caught doing something bad. Brag on people behind their back. Talk about them. I get the opportunity to do that a lot of times in service because I read all your guys' testimonies, and then I get to brag to you guys about people in this church. That's awesome. You can change people's lives, brag about them, but be a team. And the final thing he says is to be sincere. He says, the churches here in the province of Asia send greetings to the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the, other, all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. They're all sending greetings. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. He says, greet each other with Christian love. And it may, it may say in your Bible translation, greet each other with a holy kiss or a holy embrace. And basically the culture of the day that Paul was developing with these people was when, when you see someone that you have a relationship with, that symbolizes unity, it symbolizes forgiveness, it symbolizes a loving relationship with them is you greet them with a kiss on the cheek. You get it on the cheek, guys. Single guys are like, oh, I'll greet her. Yeah, right? <laughs> greet them with a holy kiss, right? Not a uh, lustful kiss. Greet people with a kiss. But here's what he's saying. Greet them with a holy embrace. Hug someone. Give someone a high five. Shake their hand. Throw shaka at the very least with your coffee afterward. Just give the, what's up, right? Because <laughs> some of us, that's, that's about all we can do, right? It's a work in progress, right? I will work my way up from the nod to maybe the handshake to maybe a hug and the kiss that's pushing it, right? But he's saying, if you love each other, show it. He's saying, greet one another with love. Act like you love each other. Be excited when you see people at this church, you know? When you know this is the family of God, then high five them, chest bump them, do whatever you need to do to show that you're stoked and you love and that we're family. He's saying, be real with each other. Be sincere. If we're family, act like it, man. And this is what he says in Romans to, to the same effect. In Romans 12, 9, real clear. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. All right, we can pretend a lot. We can, we can fake a lot of stuff. He's saying, don't do that. Just be real, love people. He says, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Remember we said, be generous. Get the offering envelopes out there and give to the right cause or give your time or give your energy or give a ride or treat to a meal. But be ready to bless people when they're in need. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who even persecute you. Even bless those that are giving you a hard time. The least you can do is pray for them. You may not have to be their best friend. Someone's giving you a hard time. Just, God, I pray that you would do something good in their life so they're not grouchy anymore, right? Don't curse them. Pray, pray that God would bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And then he goes back to the ending part, the last few verses of 1 Corinthians 16. In verse 21, he says, here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember, he usually dictates his letters to other people, but now he goes, you know what? I'm gonna pull this one off on my own because I want you to see that I'm sincere. This is really me caring about you, giving you these instructions from the bottom of my heart. This is really me. This is Paul. Think of our relationship. I've been your spiritual father. I've started your church here. I'm writing this to you. Please understand this is coming straight from my heart because I love you guys. And then in verse 22, he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, he's speaking to all the people. He's talking about the false teachers in the church that were pretending to be Christians, but were leading the church astray. He goes, you know, for those guys, those false teachers, if they don't really love the Lord, that person is cursed. He goes, yeah, it's a bummer, but you know what? They're going to get theirs. But in the very next breath, what does he say right here? Our Lord come." This is a really cool little phrase, I think, that we need to learn. And it's the word, Paul, Maranatha, okay? Write that word down, Maranatha. It's an Aramaic word transliterated into English that literally means, Lord, come. What Paul is saying here is, he goes, yeah, there's false teachers that people don't really love God and they're pretending to. They're cursed, they're going to get theirs, and that's a bummer that we have to deal with them. And so in response to that, he says, Maranatha, our Lord, come. Whenever something starts to go wrong in your life, I want you to think of this word, Maranatha. Some of you guys got to replace the four-letter words that you usually say when bad things happen in your life and use this new word you learned today, Maranatha. Because what it means is I'm walking down the road, I stub my toe, oh, Maranatha. (laughs) God, come right now because I'm mad. I just stubbed my toe, right? Or you hear gossip at work about you. What, why are you out of... Maranatha, God, Lord, come right now. Call me down. I need you. Isn't that a good word, Maranatha? To learn to throw out, to say, God, in the midst of whatever I'm going through right now, Lord, come. I believe you're coming back again, and I need you now. Basically, that's what it's saying. Maranatha, God, right? Instead of those other words, erase those from the vocabulary. Replace it with this, Lord, come, Maranatha. Then he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Okay, this isn't just a, a parting tagline of Paul's. He says it in all of his letters. He is saying, may the grace the undeserved gift of salvation and transforming life power that is at work in your life, that brought about the Holy Spirit, that brought about the forgiveness of others, the change of life and attitude that that is capable of happening in Jesus Christ. May all of that be evident in your life in Christ Jesus every single day. Don't just think, oh yeah, the grace of God be with you. No, Paul's going, hey, everything that is amazing that changed my life and that God can do in your life, Boom, I'm praying that over you guys. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And finally, he says this, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. I think that right there makes a statement that Paul would end it by saying my love to all of you. I've scolded you. I've I've said all this in my letter, but really my heart is for you. Here's the lesson I learned in that. If you say that you love people and that you have love for God's family and for people in your life, you better make sure you tell them. Here's Paul signing off last important words. I love you guys with the love of Jesus Christ. One of my my youth pastors when I was young said that he lived his whole life, non-Christian, grew up in a hard household, parents didn't know Jesus or anything. He got saved. God began to move in his life and he went home one night after church because God convicted him. And for the first time in his whole life, he told his mom that he loved her. And he was in his 20s already when this happened. She, for her whole life, had never really even said the words to her son, I love you. So neither of them, that's uncharted territory. He comes home from church feeling like God's telling me, I better make sure I tell people. They better know how I feel about him. She's sitting there watching TV. Hey, Mom. Hey, boy. He's watching TV, right? He goes, hey, um, I got to tell you something. Yeah, what? Uh, Mom, I never told you this before, but you know, I'm a Christian now, and I just wanted to tell you that I love you. It was hard for him, right? He said, I love you. He said she didn't say a word. She just sat there in the recliner. And he just saw tears just start to fall down her face. And he said it was one of the heaviest moments in his life with his mom in that relationship. She just began to cry. She didn't say I love you back, but it was enough that she just, she got it. And here's what I want you guys to know. Do the people in your life actually know that you love them? Do they really know that? They don't know unless you tell them. Here's Paul going, tell them. I'm going to tell people, you tell people. Right? Don't, Don't let people wonder. You know, I got people in my life that like me and we're good and, you know, that's cool. And or do they just like me because I have a truck and I can help them move? Like, uh, <laughs> hmm, I don't know, you know. You got to tell people, hey, you know what, Carl? I love you for more than your truck, right? You know, you just got to let people know because don't leave people out there wondering. If you love them, let them know. Life is too short to, to die and have people wonder, right? Yesterday, I was at Waimea Bay. We were jumping off the rock with our kids. We were at the beach and we saw Evan there. Evan, where are you? I thought I saw you here today. There he is right there. I saw Evan at the beach, and I was all stoked. And we had a good day, but someone had jumped off the rock, and we don't know what happened. If they jumped in the shallows, they hit their head or whatever, but basically a lifeless body just floated up. And so they grabbed him, and they carried him, and I saw all I saw was 20 people carrying this, this kid, this body, and laying him on the beach. And he wasn't dead, but he was unconscious. And we're just instantly, we're sitting there, and our family's just like praying, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I look at my, my family. They're all sitting there with the babies and everything. And they're just like, God, in Jesus' name, protect them. You know, you can see the Christians right away, like, rise up, right? And we're just praying, God, let him be okay. Lord, heal anything that's broken right now in Jesus' name. Just bless him and heal him and let them get to work, whatever. In Jesus' name, complete and total healing. We're just praying. And everyone's running over there and all this stuff. And my wife's going, I wonder who he came with. It didn't look like we, we saw, like, family or friends that, like, rose up. There's a lot of people around, but we couldn't tell. And we're, I'm sitting there thinking, i seen this guy that's, like, that's knocked out, and I see his leg move a little bit. So I'm going, okay, that's good but they're, you know, they're, they're putting his neck in traction and they're putting some kind of a splint on his leg. I don't know if he broke his leg. I don't know what happened, but we were praying. we have been praying all last night and this morning that that kid that we saw, he'd, he'd be okay. But in the midst of it, you just realize, wow, where, where was his friends or family? Number one, he came alone. But then you don't want to be the person that like dies alone or you don't want to be the person that never got the chance to say I love you to the people that need to hear it the most. Every time I leave my kids for whatever, just school or whatever. Hey, I love you. Gotta say it. We gotta get into the habit of saying it, texting it, emailing it, whatever you need to do on Facebook. Tell your friends and the people in your life that are in your family that you love them. They need to hear it. We all need to hear that. Amen? And that's Paul signing off the end of that letter. And I just think it was a good, wasn't that a good bunch of little just nuggets and little words of wisdom? Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that sometimes, Lord, it's a nine-course meal and sometimes it's just a little buffet of a bunch of little snacks. Either way, God, it's life-changing power that you have available to us in your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for guys like Paul that made it a priority to go tell people about Jesus because they love people and they love Jesus. And Lord, we want to be people like that too. We want to be generous. We want to be relational. We want to be sincere. Lord, we want to be team all of these things. I I pray that we would practice what we've heard here today. Lord, even today in the courtyard, that we would make sure we tell the people that we love, that we do love them. And Lord, that we would reach out and we'd have an eye for those people that may be new to the church or something. Lord, it takes us a little effort getting uncomfortable so that we can be relational and we could bring people into the family. Lord, we want people to know you and we want to be in people's lives and have them in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would get us out there and be a little bit more proactive on that. Lord, bless us today as we go to the beach and we get to witness life-changing power, Lord, as people are getting baptized in your name. Lord, I pray that the church family would have a fun day barbecuing and hanging out and bounce houses and waves and beach and sun and just awesome fellowship with the family of God, Lord, that we would be connecting to you and connecting to one another as we're at the beach today. Lord, I pray over collision. Lord, that the songs that we sing this Wednesday night would be a sweet-smelling aroma to you. Lord, that this house would be fulfilled with your praises. Lord, that you would bring in the masses that we would celebrate together the goodness of God in our lives. And if there's anybody here today that you want to pray an extra special prayer, and that's a prayer that I want to offer right now, is I'd like to say a prayer with you as every eye is closed and head is bowed, a prayer that would allow you to make Jesus the Lord of your life and say yes to him in a real and important way for the very first time. Basically, it would say, God, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to, from here on out, be in relationship with you. And as I do, you will begin to move and work in my life. And if there's anybody that wants to say that prayer, I'm going to say that prayer, and I'm going to lead you in that prayer in a minute. And what I'm asking is that you, I pray the words out loud. You pray them in your heart. God judges us off our heart, but he expects us afterwards to then go and confess with our mouth. So that you would tell someone about it later, but for right now, as you pray this prayer, I think it's something special between you and God. So I'm going to pray the words out loud and you make it the prayer of your heart to God and he will hear you. And as you begin to walk out the words of this prayer in your life every day, and you, you will have this relationship with God that is amazing and life transforming. And if you want to pray this prayer with me, I'm going to offer that to you. I'm going to pray in a minute here. But first I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm just going to ask that if you want to agree with me in this prayer, that on three you would raise your hand and let me know Pastor Carl, I'm in. I want to be a Christian from this day forward. So if that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and then we're going to pray this together. So if you would, one, two, three, just raise your hand right now. If there's anybody in this room that you're saying, I want to be a Christian right now. Anybody at all? I see one hand over here. Hold it up high because I want to see it. If there's anybody else, I'm looking around. Lord, thank you for that. If it's only one today, God, then our work here is done. I see another one. Praise God, Lord. Thank you for two people making the best decision of their life today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, for those two people that lifted their hands this morning, I want you just to go ahead and pray these words in your heart to God. God, I recognize that you are real and that you've been, you're have been you calling me and you've been calling me for a while. You've got plans for my life that go beyond anything I could ever dream or hope or think about. And Father God, right now, I'm telling you yes to all that you have for me. I'm committing my life to you, Lord, from this moment on. I will live according to your will, to your purposes. I will follow you, Lord, by reading your word and by praying and talking to you and by being in fellowship and by receiving baptism. Lord, maybe today I could even get baptized at the beach. Lord, by receiving the power and the fullness of your Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, all of the things that that you say are necessary for me to have the best life possible, from this moment on, Lord, I'm in. I want it, and I'm gonna follow you. Thank you for being my God. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, and that you paid the price when you died for those sins, and then you overcame death and sin and shame and guilt by resurrecting on the third day, proving that you have the power to do all that you say you are in my life. So Lord, I thank you. I embrace that. I believe it, and I receive it, and now I go and I live it out. Thank you for being my God this morning as I found eternal life in you this morning. Lord, I will live for you. Thank you, and in Jesus's mighty name, we all said, Amen. And we praise God for two more in the family of God. Amen.